Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is jump. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Actor, YouTuber, and a big supporter of Ben Sisko. Buckle up, folks. It's Jay Curtis Strickland! Make DS9 great again. <laughs> How you doing, man? Hey, man, I'm awesome. I just wanted to say, like, I'm really stoked to be here. I love talking about Star Trek, and I think your podcast is so awesome and well put together and efficient. Man, this guy, like, he's Thank like, <laughs> okay, we're going to do it on this date. We're going to do it at this hour. And I said, okay, um, well, can we talk about DS9? Well, actually, we're talking about Enterprise now. I was like, it's it's been a long time since I've watched <laughs> that silly is. show, you know, <laughs> so... um. No, I, I do like Enterprise, but uh, yeah, man, you got you got a good thing going on. Thanks, thanks. That I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Now, um, so we actually have a mutual friend, Mr. Adam Schulte. So yeah. he's a comedian who lives here locally. How do you and Adam know each other? Uh, me and Adam know each other through the hardcore scene. We used to go to shows here in North Carolina. We actually took a 19-hour drive all the way up to Minneapolis to go see this band Harvest and this other band Disembodied Cool. Uh, that were uh, locals in that area. And that 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 was a trek right there. It wasn't a Star wow. Trek, but it was a road trek, man. Like, <laughs> and it was fun. And Adam is is really good company. We also did. Uh, he did some stand up in in South Florida. The emotional reassurance tour is what he called it. <laughs> and, uh, that is a so great, I went on that. That's a great and tour name. What, yeah, that, that it's very Adam name. And you know, we um, uh, I actually did a few. You know, just improv stand ups. Uh, in, not improv, impromptu stand-ups, rather. They were just like, go out on stage. I was like, yeah, sure, cool. You know, and I had a lot of fun with it. Um, and I just never did it again. <laughs> but right. what, what would you say, what would you say is a bigger influence for you, music or comedy? Neither, actually. Really? Uh, well, I mean, between the two, or do I, there's something that- uh, Between the two, two, or if you've got a third, give me whatever you got, man. Oh, man. Well, I could rank it in order of- films yes. films are huge for me man like and i i went to um school for acting you know so i'm always watching directors actors and i just love the art of film you know um between music and comedy that's a tough one man it's really hard to say which is more important because like you know with when i was watching the whole situation with um chris rock at the Oscars getting slapped by Will Smith. That uh -huh. guy's one of my biggest influences ever as a yeah. performer. Yeah. No joke. Yeah. Like I owned all his comedy albums. I could recite them almost verbatim. 
And so that really, really offended me when I saw that, you know, because I was like, he's just doing his job. He's just out here. He's a, he's a comedian. He's a court jester. That's what he's paid to do. You know, like this is nothing new. Right. And so it, it really kind of kind of burned me. But, you know, music's pretty integral to me as well, because, you know, like I said, Adam and I, we met through the hardcore scene and, you know, I played in a bunch of bands, you know, um, kind of, you know, aesthetically and culturally with my channel, it, it has a very punk rock and hardcore vein. So, you know, that's that's the scene I grew up in. That's kind of, you know, what what I emulate by osmosis, you know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I've in my limited experience with comedy and I'm certainly not a musician, so I can't really speak to that. But in my limited experience in comedy with musicians, um, I've seen that there's there's a bigger level of respect between musicians and comedians rather than standups and improv. I I feel like standup and improv are almost always butting heads. Oh, whereas yeah. you know traditional stand up versus well any music really tend they tend to gravitate towards each other of like that respect level it's almost who can respect the other one more <laughs> you know who else has a really unique kinship with comedians hmm. adult film stars did you know this <laughs> because there's a lot of adult film stars that actually do comedy yeah and people kind of look and and it's unfortunate because I love stand-up comedy, but there seems to be this uh, idea that goes around that stand-up comedians are kind of looked down upon and, and indeed the same with adult film stars, you know, so they find this like mutual kinship within their, um, you know, their, their suffering or their station. Um. Yeah, no, that's an interesting thing. And we could obviously talk about that for a good long while, because I find that I find that uh, that view based on based on cultural standards, very, a, a very fascinating topic. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Right. Let's talk about you in your experience with Star Trek. So do you do you have an earliest Star Trek memory, like who introduced you to Star Trek or your earliest you know, a uh, story from childhood watching Star Trek. Like what, what is it for you? Yeah, man. Um, you know, the imagery in the iconography of Star Trek has always kind of been omnipresent. So even as a very young boy, I could be like, Oh, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, USS Enterprise, you know? Yeah. The real, I th I'd say the real, really the first time I got into Star Trek was through my friend and he was a co-writer on a pilot, a Star Trek pilot that we wrote, uh, my friend Timmy LaRue. Uh, he and his brother Jeff, we used to go down and watch movies uh, like in his living room and he had all the VHSs of all the Star Trek movies. And I, nice. you know, I didn't really get into the original series that much because, you know, I, I was a young kid and I, I don't think I had the attention span to commit to you know, that much of that show. And it, it didn't run regularly where I was at, or if it did, I didn't know. At any rate, I didn't really get that much into the original series until I watched the original movies. And I'm like, oh, these are fantastic. You know, I'm like, this is great. And, um, you know, we, uh, we, we would just always hang out and watch Star Trek and eat corn dogs. And like, his family was like a second family to mine, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, we just got super into those movies. Um, his dad ended up doing 
uh, some of the construction on a Leonard Nimoy film called Holy Matrimony that shot in Montana. We were both living in Montana at the time, you know, okay, which is yeah, funny because yeah. whenever Star Trek First Contact comes out, we were living in Montana. We went and saw it in the theaters. He's like, nice. looks like a missile base in central Montana. The whole theater was like, yeah, like cheering, you know. <laughs> and awesome. uh, so at any rate, yeah, his dad did a bunch of the construction on uh, Nimoy's film Holy Matrimony. And I actually, that was, okay, so this is my first professional acting role, was his background in Leonard Nimoy's film, Holy Matrimony. Nice. The film is not very good. <laughs> I love Leonard Nimoy, man, but like, you know, Star Trek 3 and 4, you you brought it, man. That was where yeah. it was at. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, I mean, that was a really great experience for me because, you know, I, I was already a fan of the film and now the original series at this point. And so, you know, to get to meet him was like amazing, you know, I mean, I wasn't supposed to meet him because, you know, the, the PAs are like, under no condition will you talk to Mr. Nimoy, blah, blah, blah. And here I am, a 10 year old kid. I was like, I don't give a crap. You know, I was like, whatever. <laughs> and so, like, I just walked over to him and, um, you know, he was standing there and uh, I said, Mr. Nimoy, he said, yes. And I, he looks down at me and I said, sir, can you autograph this for me? He said, absolutely. You know, and, and. Dude, he autographed. Um, God, I think it was just a piece of notebook paper. Um, and then, you know, I I stepped back and I I did my little Vulcan salute and I said, "Live long and prosper." And he laughed and he said, "You too." And I was like, "Wow, that's so cool that I got to meet Leonard Nimoy." And I God. I gave him the Vulcan salute and everything. And then later, I learned he had a book, "I Am Not Spock." And I was yeah. like, "Ah, oh. yeah." <laughs> ten ten year old me doesn't have the hindsight that uh 39 year old me does <laughs> oh yeah well it's you know i i think i've maybe talked about it once before i uh, through falling backwards into working background on a local film here and uh their big star on the show was um uh eric roberts from oh okay yeah and this was post uh you know post dark knight and everything and i'm a huge huge batman fan i have a tattoo i'm not allowed oh, wow. to show i'm not allowed to show anybody anymore <laughs> do you, you want to hear an interesting story well i hang on one second so okay I'm, I'm on set with uh with um eric roberts and um i'm like oh you know the guy batman doctor who and a huge list of all awesome things that he's done it's like am i gonna get to talk to him i don't know and uh, so I'm there and he's, you know, uh, you know, probably 10, 15 feet away from me. I see a PA walk by him and say, you know, hello, Mr. Roberts, how you doing? He goes, hey, how are you? And he goes, and the PA leans into him and goes, it was Ramirez. And Eric, <laughs> Eric laughed a little bit, you know, he's very polite. But in my head, I'm going, you douchebag. Why <laughs> don't quote the man's movie to him? And, oh. uh, you know, later I actually, you know, did get to talk with him a little bit. And I said, hey, look, I'm a huge, huge Batman fan. And when I saw you sitting behind, I was like, you know, they had made the announcements of who was playing whom and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, they announced you as Falcone. I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, but then when I saw you sitting behind the table there in the courtroom, I was like, he just nailed it. He nailed <laughs> that character. He was like, thank you. I really appreciate that. I was like, wow. Okay, cool. <laughs> He's a super nice guy. He's I was about nice to say, guy. I met him and right after meeting him, I almost died. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hear this story. <laughs> Here's Jeez. the setup. All right. Yeah. Um, so I was living in Hollywood at the time 
And Quentin Tarantino runs a movie theater over there called the New Beverly. Yep. And they were having a double feature that night. And one of the films was The Pope of Greenwich Village with uh, Mickey Rourke and uh, Eric Roberts. Nice. And Dara Hyanna and a few other character actors. And uh, the other film was Donnie Brasco. And my nice. buddy was like, hey, do you want to go see this? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, so we went and uh, we ate at the restaurant that was across the street, which is the El Coyote, which is where Sharon Tate and crew had their last meal before they were assaulted and murdered by the Manson oh. gang. Yeah. So I was like, I didn't know if there were bad vibes there or something. But we went and then we saw the movie and Eric Roberts shows up and he introed the movie. And, you know, I, I he was sitting in the aisles after he introed the movie. And I said, oh, Mr. Roberts, nice to meet you. Yeah. You know, and he was like, oh, yeah, thanks. You know, and he was so just down to earth and really friendly and stuff, you know, and um, very nice guy. And uh, yeah, then I, I watched both the movies and I was leaving the theater and uh, I got hit by a car Ooh, and <laughs> yeah it was a escalade that was just coming out of nowhere and uh it shattered my l5 s1 vertebra broke a bunch of my lungs or sorry broke a bunch of my ribs collapsed one of my lungs blood in my lungs yeah whoa holy crap. so that's my eric roberts story <laughs> jeez louise well god well i'm glad you survived holy crap uh, yeah fortunately <laughs> But that could have been the last movie I ever saw. Coincidentally, though, to tie it all in a nice little bow, it was the first movie my parents ever owned on really? Betamax. Yeah. Wow. So I, I could have watched that movie when I was a little boy. It would have been the first thing I saw. And it could have been the last thing I saw. You know? I, yeah. Oh my Isn't that God. crazy? Yeah. It's like that synchronicity when the universe. But, That's so wild. but God was like, nah, not today. <laughs> You know? Well, it's so funny because uh, it had 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 you passed away, you wouldn't have gotten to witness the majesty that is Star Trek Enterprise. That is true. <laughs> what? Uh, so uh, before I, you know, forced you Clockwork Orange style to uh, to sit and watch an episode of Enterprise. <laughs> what what was your did you have any cursory thoughts? Had have you watched it before? And, you know, where, where were you when I initially talked to you about watching enterprise like, oh i've seen, I'd seen the enterprise series before? at least once before i mean i've seen um you know up to enterprise every series at least once mm. um so yeah i mean i was familiar with it and i wasn't really too caught off guard by anything because um you know i really yeah i, I really got i got into it you know like and it, it you know just the moments and the way that they hit are so vastly different than uh the new trick you know yeah so when uh when you when you watched this episode uh so you saw these initially when they were coming out and then it's been a while you know before you jump back on to i never watched them when they were initially aired i actually caught them on netflix and nice. again it's one of those ones that just sat in my queue forever and i was like mm. yeah <laughs> and then one day i just braved through it and there was that song and I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, what are you doing to my Star Trek? You know, it sounded like elevator music. I was like, this is awful. You know, so I, uh, you know, there's a video that actually just got loaded to YouTube um, shuttle pod show. I don't know if you're aware of it, where uh, no. 
um, Connor Trenier and uh, Dominic Keating, who played Trip and Malcolm, respectively, on Enterprise, they've started their own podcast. And, and they had an episode where they were taking fan questions. And apparently somebody just blasted them on the Enterprise theme song, which those guys didn't have anything to do with Had nothing to do, to do with it, yeah. But Anthony appara- Montgomery was at some sort of con, and he was up there, like, singing it and, like, kind of mocking it and making fun of it, you know? Yeah. And to be so. honest, like... The first of all, the images I actually dig, like the whole history kind of leading, you know, of like travel through, you know, uh, old old ships leading to yeah. the first air travel, leading to the early stages of space. Like I dig that. That kind of that that makes sense. So I'm down for that. But like the faith of the heart is there are some lyrics in it that kind of fit the motif. Um, a lot of people have said, oh, they should have just had Archer's theme because that's, you know, it's, that's great. And I can't say I disagree, but at the same time, like, especially looking at season three and four version of the Enterprise theme versus season one and two, I actually prefer season one and two to season three. Really? I do. Yeah. I see. I, I okay. Was, I was a, of the mind because I've mentioned a couple times on the show that a lot of these episodes actually watch it wouldn't take much tweaking to turn them into a horror movie. And I've always appreciated when a particular show sort of leans into its specific episodes aesthetic. So when we come to episodes like similitude, which we discussed a few, a few weeks ago with my wife, uh, uh, cat on, on the show, that episode is super heavy. It starts with what we think is the, the funeral of trip. And I was like, that is a heavy, heavy start. You know, to be honest, they could lose all the opening theme and images and just have the title on a black card and it would fit the aesthetic even more. Sure. I, I'd say if you had to make any sort of amendment to the theme song, mm. I, here's get the karaoke version, you know, like because it's yeah. not a it's yeah. not a terrible song. And, and to be honest with you, it's not like completely appropriate for Star Trek. But if you just had the instrumental, I think it would fit way better, you know? Yeah, and I see, I, I'm I'm in a little bit of a disagreement with you there in that I prefer kind of the more upbeat, like three and four season. Oh, so you, okay. you, you wipe the vocals from that and you do the upbeat and it's kind of a serviceable show. That's the only okay. thing that offends me about that show. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good take. So. That's a good take though. Of like, right? yeah, just lose, uh, you know, take the, keep the upbeat, but lose the lyrics. That's right. That's a that's a good that's a good point of view. It'd be um, interesting to hear it, 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 the season one and two uh, version as well without lyrics. That yeah. might be kind of cool. Well, Who you knows? know, and also you know, female vocals as opposed to male vocals. You know, yeah, um, you could you know, there's no there. You know, look, you can fall down a rabbit hole on YouTube of different versions of Faith of the Heart for Dude, a long time. You could get like Bjork to do it. She'd be like, Faith of the Heart. You know. <laughs> Um, so we mentioned, uh, so we mentioned Jeffrey Combs, uh, and, you know, gearing up for this, uh, gearing up for the episode and we've got him here returning as, uh, as commander Shran, like, uh, how how do you like, how do you like Jeffrey Combs as Shran? I have a story about Jeffrey Combs actually, because I had the pleasure of seeing him introduce the Frighteners and Reanimator at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. 
It was fantastic. I was so amped. And I, I think he is, like we were saying, he's like that guy that is in that thing, but he is the guy that is in that thing. Like everybody yeah. knows who he is. You know, you've seen him yeah. in something. Especially when it comes to Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, DS9, to speak of again, one of my favorite incarnations of the uh it is my favorite incarnation he's three roles in it you know yeah. and i liked him so much and and that, that was a real treat to have him do that by the way because he's super awesome and down to earth and uh i actually and and it also segs into another star trek story in that um you know i ended up collaborating with some uh i, I was just sitting and waiting for the train right and there were some two guys that were there waiting for the train and they asked me, they said, did you go to reanimator? And I was like, yeah. And I started talking to him and we exchanged contact info. Like, you know, they're like, I'm filmmaker. And I said, I'm an actor. And so they, um, we, uh, stayed in touch and they wanted me to be in a film that they did. Now it was like a horror noir film. Right. And I had to get prosthetics done to my face. Oh, wow. And, you know, I had to sit in like all this mold and stuff like that. And, you know, I said, so I was talking to the makeup artist, you know, and I was like, so, you know, what's some of the other work you've done? She said, well, you know, I did some of the uh, makeup for the Klingons on Star Trek Discovery. I'm like, what? You know, and so it was cool. so awesome. And I, I have mad respect for all those Star Trek actors that have to undergo all that prosthesis because I was only in it for maybe less than an hour and it sucked. Yeah. It's, I, well, we, we, uh, on a recent episode, we talked about, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and his turn on Star Trek Enterprise and how his experience with the prosthetics, I know I'm giving you the, the bullet point version here, but Wait, who his, was Jeffrey Dean Morgan on, on Enterprise. He was one of the Zindi. Uh, which one he was, uh, when, when to Paul and Archer go back in time to, to, uh, it's the episode Carpenter street. Oh yeah, where she tries to order vegan food at the burger joint. Uh, no, no. This <laughs> this is the um uh, this is uh so it's um the Zindi are collecting blood samples. They're gonna do a bi a biological weapon, and they're getting um the character actor, and it's his his I can see his face. Uh, he's I he vaguely remember the episode. Yeah, Jeffrey Dean Morgan was like the lead Zindi. Reptilian? Alien. Yeah. Yeah. Reptilian. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. He he's gone on record to say that that experience on enterprise almost made him quit acting. He oh, was so, I have heard that. Yeah. So miserable. I forgot that was him though. Yeah. Wow. It didn't, yeah. No, it's, yeah. I mean, that's why Christopher Plummer didn't want to have all the prosthesis on his head when he did star trek six you know he yeah. knew how it was he's like i'm an old man like i, I don't want to do this <laughs> i haven't won an oscar yet i ain't doing this i ain't getting nominated for no academy award for star <laughs> trek six geriatrics you know like, exactly well yeah. uh you know yeah i love jeffrey combs and i think he does some fantastic some fantastic work especially in the star trek universe and i yeah. love i love him playing off of Scott Bakula as Archer. I think those two really uh, have, they really over the few episodes that Jeffrey's in on Enterprise solidify this really nice back and forth um, of just feeding off of each other's energy, but playing with the script and, you know, being there on set in costume and makeup and just, you can tell, you can tell that they're really having fun. Yeah, it's it's almost like a Quark Odo dynamic a little bit in that Very they're like much. 
they're like jabbing at each other and they're kind of antagonistic towards each other but at the same time you know they're like you know we kind of need each other so let's play nice sometimes you know exactly and, and jeffrey get... Jones, i i like him so much as an actor like i loved him in reanimator i loved him in the frighteners i loved him in uh from beyond uh castle freak you know like anything i mean any incarnation of star trek i liked him so much that i wrote him as one of the principal characters in the star trek pilot that i was planning to pitch to cbs and paramount Cool. Oh, well, yeah. well, we will get into more of that as we will get into the rest of this episode. But before we do any of that, let's get to this week's recap. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. UPN Wednesday on an all-new Star Trek Enterprise. Have a drink with me. Who do you choose to pull off the biggest heist in the galaxy? I don't intend to destroy it. We're going to take it. But who's scamming who? The Imperial Guard doesn't serve at your leisure. You son of a... Despite losing most of its Delphic Expanse map data, Enterprise continues to traverse a series of spatial anomalies. And so on. When heavily damaged by a particularly dangerous vortex, the ship is suddenly pulled clear by an Andorian vessel. Jeffrey Combs claims he is only interested in helping Enterprise with its mission to subvert the Zindi weapon in the interest of forming a closer alliance with humanity. Yeah, right. Suspicious of the Andorian's true motives, Archer nonetheless agrees to allow them to work with his crew to repair the ship and to scan the test site of the Zindi prototype weapon. Shran permits Archer to command his crew in capturing the weapon. Yeah, right. With Enterprise distracting the Zindi, the Andorian vessel grabs the weapon and stores it aboard. The Andorians want the weapon to give them an advantage in their conflict with the Vulcans. Before I respond to that, I'll have to take an extra strength vitamin, duh. Duh. Archer is ejected in an escape pod. Meanwhile! Back aboard Enterprise, he threatens to detonate the weapon unless the Andorians surrender it. Shran believes this ultimatum to be a bluff. But when Archer activates the detonation sequence, he reluctantly ejects it. The weapon explodes, damaging the Andorian ship, but leaving Enterprise unscathed. How convenient. They receive a secret transmission from the Andorians, containing detailed scans of the prototype. Archer is pleased and orders it transmitted to Starfleet and invites Trip and Paul to his quarters to try some Andorian ale. Why is the rum gone? So this is fun in that we get to see, again, more of that back and forth between uh, Jeffrey, Com Jeffrey Combs, Shran, and, uh, and Archer, uh, you know, Scott Bakula's Archer, and we get to see this sort of power struggle. And Archer's, at this point, Archer's sort of reached that point of like, this is not my first rodeo. And like a lot of times, especially in the first, especially in the first two seasons, we see Archer is very much like, hey guys, we're here. We're we're humanity. We're here. Like, let's let's join. Let's start the party. All right, cool. Hey, my dog's gonna pee on your tree. Is that okay? Oh, you worship trees and I'm in trouble. All right, fine. You know, it's it was a lot of that. And now that he's kind of really made uh Earth's presence in the galaxy known to multiple different species with varying degrees of success, mostly not, but <laughs> When, uh, you know, when in this conflict, uh, you know, this ongoing struggle against the Zindi, it's 
it's a friendly face. Like Shran is actually a friendly face of like, oh, thank yeah. God it's you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but, he's kind of impish, you know, and like yeah. he he's a little bit of a he's he's definitely like uh, what are you like chaotic neutral or something, you know, and very like much. he's very like kind of all over the place. But like when you need him, he's there for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really fun to see Archer kind of learning. Hey, look, diplomacy is only part of the equation. Like you got to stay on your toes. You got to really be aware of who's fighting with whom and the power struggles within just within those own organizations, let alone against each other. Right. And I think he knows Shran well enough that he trusts him to an extent. Sure. And still has faith of the heart <laughs> that um, <laughs> it's so damn catchy. Like you just can't resist song. it, <laughs> <laughs> but he has faith that Shran is doing he, he knows strand is acting in his people's best interest but in terms of their relationship with b- between each other and potentially to earth the rest of humanity and ultimately starfleet down the road he knows strand is going to do he, i think he was kind of expecting that transmission of the plans there at the end of like sure uh, okay good yeah all right you know, and I, yeah, it's it was nice to see that. And uh, have you? I've always been curious to try Andorian ale. Do you have a particular drink of choice in the Star Trek universe or in real life? Um, well, I'm not a drinker, no? uh, I okay. drank for many years, but I wasn't very good at it, so I just stopped. Um, <laughs> um, god, what do I drink? I mean, I'm sipping on a sun drop right now. I uh, nice. I love the Coke with coffee. I drink all the things Wait, that are Coke not alcoholic. With Coke with coffee? Shouldn't. Yeah, it's um Coke that's infused with like, I want to say it's green coffee. And it's uh, there's different variations on it. There's a dark roast, vanilla, mocha, um, uh, caramel. Yeah, and they've got like low sugar versions. I am not endorsed by the Coca-Cola Corporation, by the way. So. Neither is the Computer Resume podcast. Yeah. But uh <laughs> I, to be honest, I, uh, I, I worked when I was going back to school for paralegal, I, uh, started working retail at a local liquor store. And so, yeah. And to be honest, it was actually kind of fun because I kind of got to, you know, read all the labels and see how the stuff is made and all this, that, and the other. And then, uh, one day a guy from one of the local distilleries came in, uh, you know, sales rep for one of those distilleries came in and, uh, he and I started talking and. I just jokingly said, I suppose you guys are hiring. He goes, yeah, yeah, we are. And oh, I was wow. like, okay, I sent in my resume and was hired before the end of the week. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. That's cool. awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of, it was a lot of fun, but you know, along with that, it, you know, that's a different level of chemistry and uh, the law, you know, in terms of blue laws, like what you can and can't do uh, state to state. Uh, and I found it all really, really fascinating, but I also did get to experiment a lot with, uh, different alcohols and stuff, uh, you know, yeah. some, of the, some of the stuff right out of the barrel. It was, it was, I mean, nice. if I was in Star Trek, I think I'd be an Altair water kind of guy, you know, but, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm generally kind of like a coffee, um, I like coffee. I like kombucha. I like, you know, which is really good. I mean, I'm kind of a, like, I got hippie ethics sometimes, you know, so sure. like, you know, I love me some kombucha, some tea. Um, 
I'm having you know. to, uh, I recently had a doctor's appointment and, uh, without getting too graphic, uh, he was like, you gotta lay, you gotta lay off the caffeine. You absolutely have to. Oh. I was like, oh man, because I mean, before I got into paralegal, I was law enforcement for better part of a decade. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, night shift for all of it. And oh, so wow. I lived on monsters and coffee. You were and- local police. Uh, I started as a, uh, I started as a guard at the County jail. I did that okay. for three years and then went to city police, hated it. And oh, then wow. ended up getting on as campus police with a local college, which was probably the best move I could have made. Oh, sure. <laughs> because I mean, were, were you ter- married at the time? I was. Yeah. Oh, and okay. it, I was in, terms, say. in terms of policing, um, in terms of policing, it's a super tiny jurisdiction, you know, it's, yeah, you, you got your one town drunk and, you know, a couple, you know, a couple people who like to play music. One, only one in the college. It was a Methodist college. It was, oh, you know, so okay. there wasn't a lot of that, but um, they but, were all hanging out in, in the dorms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> drinking the holy water. Right. <laughs> but uh, to be honest, it was probably, it was a, probably the best move on my part, just because after a year of full-time employment, they gave me free tuition. So I was, oh, able, wow. I was able to knock out a bunch of my general education classes, but it was kind of awkward because I was clearly not 18 sitting, <laughs> sitting in a was, classroom. Was it Wesleyan? Uh, no, it was uh, Spartanburg Methodist College. Oh, okay. Wesleyan is a Methodist, isn't it? I don't think so. Yeah, I could sure. be wrong. Though. I don't know. Um, anyway, but anyways, that's cool, yeah, it, it was it was a blast. And then, you know, uh, got out of that and then, you know, and that story unfolded the way it sure, did. Sure. But like. You know, it, you know, going back to school and then working liquor retail, it was, it was a, you know, I had been in law enforcement for such a long time. It was kind of like, oh, this is, I almost forgot what it's like to kind of have the blue collar, like, uh, yeah. you know, would you oh, like man, fries with that, that type of right job? Now I am feeling that right now. Oh, what do you, Continue. what do you, what do you, what do you do? What's your nine to five? Oh, I'm nine to five. I'm an actor and a writer and a producer. And fair enough, you know, uh, (laughs) no, I mean, and this is, this is a vulnerable moment for me in that, like, you know, making the move back East to me, it was a really humbling experience. You know, it's very, you know, to say that I lived and, and did something that I'd always aspired to do since I was very young. That's great. You know, and then you, you come back to this and it's like, you know, like yeah. I, I was doing so much cool stuff and, you know, again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's hard, it's hard to go and take a job that, that you've already done before that you don't necessarily, uh, have any sort of real passion towards, you know, like you, you tolerate it enough and you, and you like it, but it's, you know, not right. what your passion. It's a paycheck, not a passion, you know? Right. So when, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, uh, you know, we all, we all go through these things and I, and I, you know, in talking about the hardships that, uh, everybody has hardships that they deal with in their lives. I have, you have, everybody has, including Archer. Archer has gone through a lot of stuff. Like it's a lot of responsibility to be a captain Sure. Of this crew who's making this, fir- you know, this essentially this maiden voyage 
uh, you know, out into out into uncharted, you know, unexplored space in terms of, oh, yeah. you know, humanity. And, you know, if you were if you were law enforcement, you know, I was military law enforcement's paramilitary. You know, you've got guys that are under your command, you know, if you have subordinates and whatnot. And there's a lot of responsibility that bears on you when you when you have to, you know, focus on something so delicate as that somebody oh, else's yeah. life, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I can look at my own life and see, uh, you know, oh, man, this time, this, you know, this time in my life, I went through this thing and man, did it suck. But boy, I sure learned a hell of a lesson and I'll never oh, yeah. forget it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you with a military background and also having been, uh, you know, even if it's just on maybe the outer fringes, but in the entertainment industry, and living in Hollywood, like, what are some of the things that you had firsthand knowledge, you know, or maybe you heard a rumor about the thing, and then it turned out to maybe it may, maybe it met your expectations, maybe it didn't. Is there anything that you kind of brought back with you? It's like, you know what, that's something you can only live it. That's something you can only learn in LA. Yeah, I mean, wow, that's a great question, you know, and I think you know, the one thing that people need to understand about Hollywood is how connected it actually is. Like, you know, mm. uh, what's his name? Yeah, J.J. Abrams. His mother was a casting agent, no? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that that's a really good leg up in Hollywood, you know? And and when you've got that, that's that's fantastic, you know? I mean, I could sit and say, I wish I had the finances to be able to live in L.A. comfortably. I wish I could say that, you know? Um, and... Part of it, though, the lack of, you know, like steady income and like, I don't know if I'm going to pay my rent, you know, like it, 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 it almost induces this creative anxiety into you. Like, I need to do something. I need to make my life and I need to make my existence in Hollywood, in L.A. worthwhile, you know. So you just it's you just start, you know, focusing on like, you know, projects and things like that, you know, and it's like, uh, I'm going to go get. $5 Taco Bell today, you know, I mean, it's, if, if you wanted to say, if I learned anything more than, more than any outsider could learn, it would be that Hollywood is a dynasty. And there are, yeah, interesting. It, it, it's very like, like I said, it's very connected. And depending on who you know, and I mean, that goes with any facet of life, depending on who you know, depends on where you go. And so, you know, essentially, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to say it this bluntly, but like Hollywood is kind of a scam. It's a little bit of a scam it in sh that it shouldn't be a surprise to people that it, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yeah. In a, in a world of fake lighting and fake sets and fake hair and fake makeup and all that stuff. Yeah. It's a scam. <laughs> as, as many DoorDash deliveries as I did to celebrities that I was like, you know, I could be doing exactly what you're doing right now. I could be, but instead I'm bringing you some Arby's, you know, like, <laughs> like have, have at it. I got to meet Negasonic Teenage Warhead, though, Brianna Hildebrand. She was really cool. Really? Yeah, she was sweet. Yeah. Nice. But I, I, I met a few other random ones. Um, uh, Elliot, uh, then Ellen Page. That was, that was interesting. Um, yeah. You know, so, but I don't want to see, I don't want to like say, speak anything like real disparagingly about Hollywood because I've had a few people that went out there that weren't too connected, a few friends, mm -hmm. and they did some projects and, you know, things happen and whatnot. Was it Marvel level uh, capacity or, or, you know, Star Trek level? No, 
but did they enjoy some limited success from that? Yes. Are they continuing to work? Yes. You know, so I guess it really all depends on what you're looking for. You know, I, I studied at uh, Stella Adler Conservatory, which is where uh, Kate Mulgrew studied, actually. Oh, nice. And then the, also the Admiral from uh, Star Trek Insurrection, the one that gets his face all... Uh, Admiral... What's his name? Uh, is it is it Doherty? Doherty, yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, he, he went to Stella Adler as well. And, you know, you, you get a lot of kids that, that go there that are being, you know, kind of sold on, uh, you know... Uh, Marlon Brando trained here, you know. Um, you know Robert it's a, it's Robert De Niro, good, he, you know, he trained there. You know, I, I gonna say that's a good Brando. It's a good uh, De Niro. But uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, Robert De Niro, he he trained there, and it was a really good school. He liked the school. It was a good school, you know. Um, nice. But uh, <laughs> and so they really sell them on that. And so, like a lot of them come into the acting conservatory, like Marvel star, you know. I'm gonna be in, you know, this. I'm gonna be in that. They don't they don't really focus so much on the actual craft and you know it comes off as kind of pompous and pretentious to say that but like it really is the most important thing it is the make or break thing in making a good actor versus just an actor who wants to be seen you know like right. putting in that work you know and a lot of them just don't want to do that and a lot of them don't want to be satisfied with just doing independent features and just you know run-of-the-mill just something that'll show up on on tubi or something like that yeah. they don't want to do that you know why would i do that you know right so yeah. it, it, it's you know it's it's weird but well, um i've seen the same thing in stand-up of like especially oh gosh especially during the pandemic where mics got shut down yeah. and the at the first glimmer of hope when the mics started opening back up we got a flood of new comedians like everybody oh, wow. everybody who was trapped inside for six months or however long They're honing their skills right their act. they did they did nothing but sit at home and watch netflix stand-up comedy and they thought you know what i can do that so they went and tried and okay it was just like, all right i've got oh. a line um uh i get no respect that's that's good right that's good <laughs> Oh, I didn't write it. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the, you know, I saw a lot where I actually talked to people who were sold. They were, they believed with every fiber, fiber of their being that they were going to have a Netflix special sometime, sometime, <laughs> two some, years, sometime next week. And I was like, <laughs> how long have you been doing standup? It's like, well, this is my third time up. I was oh, like, oh, God. oh boy. Oh, they, man. They have no idea. And see, not a lot of people know this about comedians, actors. A lot of those guys have been out there in the trenches for years yeah. before the public eye really gets to see them shine, you know, yeah. like that. They just got to be out there just doing it. Like, you know, Brian Cranston was in stuff forever. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, we talk about, uh, we've, we've talked, or you've talked a lot about LA. I've never been there. I can't talk about LA. Oh, wow. <laughs> but like you, you should you, definitely go sometime and then promptly leave. I, yeah, I was going to say, I'll go and <laughs> try to grab a spot at the store and then come home. That's all. Right. That's all I want. Uh, but speaking of the comedy store and people being connected, you know, famously, uh, Judd Apatow's mom was working, was working the, was work, working the register so she could get her 14-year-old son a job washing washing dishes in, oh, at the wow. comedy store, which is where he met everybody. And that's where he ended up, uh, once he got to college, he started calling in those favors of, hey, remember me from the comedy store? I'd like to interview you for my college newspaper. Oh, cool. So that's where he started gaining all the knowledge straight from the source. And then he came, if you, end, if you ever end up, I don't know if, you, if you've seen the uh, Comedians of Cars Getting Coffee. 
I don't know. What yeah, I've seen some of it. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it's Seinfeld and people have mixed opinions on Seinfeld, whatever. But when he interviews Judd Apatow, Judd is like, look, I've done the research. You're not going to be good at stand-up for seven years. After that, you're you're decent. Yeah, that's where stuff will happen. Look at Kevin Hart, like straight out of Kevin's heart. Uh, Kevin Kevin Hart's mouth is like straight I, from it, his heart. Straight from his heart. <laughs> straight, straight from his heart, which is full of faith. Uh, he he said, "Look, it took ten years for me to be an overnight success." Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I've heard that quote before. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, they've all done that. You know, uh, any comedian you talk to, it's anywhere from five years, 10 years, 15 years or more. And, and, you know, they, they say that LA is a 10 year town. That's one thing you got to know about it too. You know, it's, um, you don't really start to, I guess, see any real traction until you've spent that amount of time out there. Now I did half that, you know, and so it was, it was starting to get there, you know, but I mean, two out of those five years were COVID, you know, and that kind of killed a lot of momentum that just about anybody had, you know, um, and, you know, I would say L.A. is definitely worth a visit, you know, but like sure. I said, promptly leave and then go find a hazmat team and sterilize yourself because that place has become yeah. just a bunghole now. And it's just not <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man, I was paying like twelve hundred dollars rent for like studio apartment in the the Hollywood Hills and like, you know. Now I know a buddy out here in North Carolina that's buying a house for like a hundred dollars more than that. And I'm like, ah, yeah, was yeah. it really worth it? You know? Yeah. It's a, I mean that much, that much I can say probably with as much certainty, it's a tough town, no matter, even if you're, yeah. even if you've got a job, that's not in the entertainment industry. Oh yeah. A, the West coast is a, it's a tough racket, man. Oh yeah. I mean, um, I, I had to work a lot of jobs at, you know, I didn't really like being in the environment. Like, like I said, I don't drink, you know? So it was like, you know, I had to work in a lot of bars and a lot of clubs. I had to do, you know, security door, you know, stuff like that. And, sure. you know, I'm a, I'm a small dude. I, I can hold my own, you know, at the same time, like, you know, you got athletes and like, you know, big dudes coming there that, you know, <laughs> Oh yeah. Luck, you know? Yeah. Well, it's so funny, you know, it's kind of, I, I remember the scene from, uh, from, d2 the mighty ducks where uh <laughs> that's a deep cut as a deep cut but emilio estevez is at a hollywood party and they're walking around they stop some waitress and they're like uh so and she's clearly a waitress she's carrying the tray and has the vest on the whole thing and they're like yeah so what are you doing in la it was like well i serve and with you know and he goes no but what do you what do you really want to do and she goes into this whole production thing and like i want to do da, 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 da. and he was trying to tell emilio estevez's character is like everybody wants to be something more and it's so funny to me when i've talked with a few people um she may not appreciate that i keep using her as the example but the lovely and talented uh, uh super talented and very gracious bonnie gordon who is the voice of the uss protostar on star trek prodigy she okay came, she came on the show and uh well before we started to roll i was like is there you know is there anything else and she was like yeah just so you know like my nine to five i'm on call for my nine to five that's crazy and she's like i i was like you i did i didn't hear that episode but i did hear you mention it in one of your other episodes and i was like you know um i don't know if you know who the actress iliana douglas is i've heard that name have you ever seen um goodfellas yeah He's in Goodfellas. Uh, have you ever seen Alive? 
the movie about the uh, Uruguayan soccer team that goes down in the Andes. She's in that. I haven't You've seen, seen it, but I I know of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's one of those, that lady that was in that thing, you know? Okay, yeah. <laughs> she's. I don't know if she's the lady, but you definitely, like, you're like, oh, yeah, her. She used to date Martin Scorsese and was in Martin Scorsese's films. Wow. Once she f- was finished dating him, she ended up working at a furniture store. Yeah. You know, like it's crazy to think that. And I mean, even to talk about Star Trek, like a lot of those guys after the series, the original series ended, they didn't have such great runs. Like William Shatner was living in his truck on the beach, you know, like yeah. look at and look at all the like the crazy like B rate, like Night of the Lepus that like DeForest Kelly had to do, you know, like all oh, this yeah. just schlock and just horribleness in order to just stay afloat, you know, like. That's got to, that, that also being with me, like just weighed on my mind so much. I'm like, it was constant anxiety. Like, where am I going to get money next month? I oh, think, yeah. You know, and, and it, you better enjoy working retail if you pursue a career in entertainment. I mean, like I, I had some limited successes and I will have success in the future, but at the same time, you know, you never hear these kind of stories. You never hear about when people come back from L.A. and New York. You know, I had a lot of friends that left and and they, you know, some came back, some didn't, you know, some enjoyed success outside of um, living in L.A. Some some didn't, you yeah. know, and so it, it's that like the unsung heroes, you know, you never hear their stories, you know. Yeah, I you know, I think back to um and to be honest, it's a it's a good read even if you're not into stand-up comedy or you're not trying to be a stand-up comedian. Sebastian Maniscalco uh, a few years ago uh, released his first book Stay Hungry and it mm. talks about him grinding. Just he 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 saved up his money, he knew the cost and he was like, "Okay, this is this is it. This is what it's going to be." And he went out there and busted ass yeah waiting tables waiting tables until it was like okay i have to go if i'm gonna make my set at the store and he would go do a set do another set and probably come back for another shift like and and understanding that even when you're there as a comic at the club you're interacting with other service industry folks be it be it they're there to see the show or they are working the club around you like it pays to be as nice as you can to as sure. many people as you can, like Archer is to the Andorians. Uh, you know, have you have you seen that where it's just kind of like, oh, this person's a jerk, but I gotta be nice right now. Let's, uh, let's take those feelings, stuff Jeez, them down. Like everybody I work with, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, every day, yeah. it's, every day know, I face the gauntlet of just I don't want to be here. Like, don't talk to me exactly oh my gosh i mean i know i dealt with that in law enforcement but it's kind of like all right that's kind of the that is that's the industry like you're dealing with people who are either a not great or b having the worst day of their life right or sometimes both that are law enforcement and you know i i love them to death but they are boneheads and they are like (laughs) neanderthals they're hilarious though i mean i went to a cop party one time and the cops first of all i just smoked a bunch of weed and i was like Oh God, this is a big mistake. My buddy's like, you want to go to a party? He knew I just smoked. And then he's like, you want to go to a party? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And he was like, it's with a bunch of cops. And I'm like, you're a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) Straight Tom Cruise. You're a jerk, you know, like, and so I got in the car and I went with him and these cops are all trash and they've got like masks on and like, 
beach gear and sunglasses and like you're like what is going on here is this like you know some crazy like 80s boner comedy movies what is going yeah. on and they're all drinking and giving each other breathalyzer tests <laughs> and i'm like dude i'm like this is this is zany and then like my buddy's all trying to introduce me to all these officers and i'm like no 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 don't do it don't do it and they're like no come take the breathalyzer i'm like i don't want you to smell the weed on me <laughs> please <laughs> I don't want to get more than like five feet from you. Oh man. Anyway, I digress. I remember going to a party not long after I had just gotten certified uh, to do standardized field sobriety testing. And I made the mistake of mentioning that I had just gotten certified. <laughs> People oh. were like, Oh, test me, test me. Yeah, test me. Yeah. <laughs> so I spent the, I spent the rest of the party working like, great. All right. Watch <laughs> the pen. Yeah, okay. Did you ever get anybody that wanted you to tase them? uh no i i oh man i i got tased i had i had to i had to ride the lightning and it was oh wow it was not fun I, See, although i, I want to do it for my channel and i'm like how do i get the cops to let me come and do like a training seminar where they'll tase me um you could maybe go with like a new employee hire you may uh, if if that's something you want to do here's how i would go about it <laughs> reach out take notes to, everyone yeah <laughs> reach out to your local department's training division and say hey look i'm um you know try to make it sound try to make it sound as uh, professional and educational as possible but say sure. hey look i run a youtube channel with uh you know x y and z or da 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 da, da. long and short of it is uh would it be possible for me and my cameraman, if you don't have a cameraman, just get a cameraman, even yeah. if it's a buddy who's just going to hold the camera. Would yeah. it be possible for me and my cameraman to come to a training session with your other officers and experience the taser? Um, if that's what you're looking to do and say, yeah, hey, look, you know, yeah. it's so interesting because like I played a few law enforcement characters, uh, when I was in LA and I remember one specifically, I called the LAPD and I was like, Hey, I'm an actor. Like, is there a way I could do like a ride along with you guys? And like, uh, yeah, call the sheriff's department. I was like, all right. And, uh, I called the sheriff's department. They were like, I was like, said the same thing. And they're like, uh, yeah, you know, call the state troopers like that. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, like, I called state troopers, and they were like, um, yeah, call the U.S. Marshals. It, it just kept going, you know? And I, I don't think they really wanted to send me anywhere other than me hanging up the phone, you know? Because yeah. I don't think they want to deal with stuff like that, you know? No. And I can only imagine how many, you know, jerkwad actors that come to L.A. that, like, you know, well, I have think a feel be the next chips or something. Right. I think there's, <laughs> I think for those bigger cities, there are actual divisions, there are entertainment divisions and they deal specifically with that. Cause I mean, well, Todd, you got to call him up and, and I'll, I'll let him know. Them because they didn't let him know. that department. Let me, let me just tell you, cause when I went through taser training, we had, we, they gave us an option. We could either a be shot with it where the spikes come out and they embed in your skin and you ride the lightning for a mandatory five seconds. Yeah. Or you can have the prongs, the little needle. Oh, things. yeah. You can have them attached to your clothing. Ooh. And you basically ride the lightning until you scream. <laughs> I think I'd rather have it shot into me. Like knowing that it's there, like pinned to me, that would just build up the anticipation. I, I opted to, I was like, well, I don't want to get blood on my clothes. So just attach it to just attach it to me yeah what oh, does it bleed 
Oh yeah, because those you'll bleed the, when you get hit. Yeah, when you, when they shoot with when they shoot you with it, it's a needle, but the end of the needle actually forks. So once it penetrates your skin, it stays there. Ooh, yeah, which is why when once you're done riding the lightning, they basically have to break the wires. They have to break that connection, but then they actually have to physically pull out the barbs. They have to pull them out of your skin. Oh, now, geez. now when you get shot with them. I'm sure the Star Trek people love this. Um, <laughs> but when you get shot with them, the they they it's two of them. They come out of the cartridge. One comes out straight. The other one comes out at a slight angle. So by the time it reaches you, ideally one positions yourself somewhere around your shoulders. The other one should position your lower back or your butt so that the lightning, the electrical you know, current, sure just runs between those two points and if it's on your back which is which is where it should be um you know it basically causes you to to seize to uh, you you either you either curl if it's if it's on your back you either curl or you'll or you'll extend those are your two reactions so i opted to have the barbs attached to my clothing they didn't attach them to my shirt they attached one to my sock and one to the other sock Rather than oh. going higher, they attach oh. to the sock. So oh. that means that the lightning went up Shot one right leg, up, your... oh. one up, up one leg and down the other leg. Dude. It felt like, imagine, pick your favorite Major League Baseball team and Not imagine just... the entire roster with their weapon of choice and they sprint in a single file line towards you and each one as they pass you hits you in the back of the legs. Ooh, that sounds terrifying. It's that. That's what it felt like. And and everybody was like, oh, well, well, as soon as the electricity stops, the pain stops. I don't curse a lot on the show, but I will say. (laughs) That is absolute. (laughs) Because it's such an intense. We made an exception. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make an exception this one time. Um, It's such an intense experience that for, I think for a couple weeks after it happened, if I started to think about it, my legs would start to shake. They oh, would start geez. to convulse. And oh, I, I couldn't, no, there was like nothing I could do. Muscle memory, about it. man. Muscle memory. Exactly. Um, I did, uh, when I was working as a guard at the county jail, they don't have pepper spray because it's an enclosed area. Because if you spray, it goes into the vents. And now you just sprayed the entire general population of your facility. So what they use is they use a pepper foam it hits and it sticks. I got the tiniest little bead of that pepper foam right here on my cheek. Oh, dude. And I, when it hit, I was like, oh, I just caught some of the foam. And I was like, oh, okay. Because we were in a, you know, we were in a scuffle with, with an inmate and all that stuff. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. so I caught, I caught some of the foam on my face and I was like, oh, this isn't too bad. The conflict ends. We, you know, put the inmate into a holding cell all that stuff i get back to the office and the adrenaline wears off and you start to relax and the pain sets in and it was like someone put you know you know those construction nails that are like eight inches long yeah it felt like someone slowly pushing one of those into my face and i was like oh my god (laughs) the pain has started give me the (laughs) to get off to get it off my face yeah yeah i can only imagine jeez 
But, uh, you know, but that back always, to the Andorians. Yeah, back to the Andorians. Uh, it makes me think of those. Uh, it makes me think of those mirror universe uh, torture chambers. I was just like, I wonder. Oh, you know, yeah. The like compression or yeah, the, uh, yeah, whatever they, it is. Yeah. And they just. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. At this point uh, is where we uh, where we ask ourselves and each other, who do we blame? This episode was written by Chris Black, whose last episode was season three, episode seven, The Shipment. Uh, He wrote that with Brent V. Friedman. Uh, We discussed that with Drew Burris from the More You Nerd podcast and Cosmic Crit. That was a fun episode. Uh, This episode was directed by David Livingston, whose last directing was season three, episode five, Impulse, which we discussed with the creator of the Star Trek chronology project, Mr. Jason Keener. Um, that was a fun episode too. Uh, if you haven't heard that, definitely check it out and check out the Star Trek Chronology Project. It's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. The guest stars, we've got a lot of familiar faces here again. Randy Oglesby, Scott McDonald, Rick Worthy, uh, of course, Jeffrey Combs, and the unkillable Tucker Smallwood, uh, all back to reprise their roles respectively as Degra, Commander Dolem, Janar, Commander Shran, and the Zindi Primate Counselor. But here we've got uh, Granville Van Dusen as the Andorian general. This is actually his second appearance. But uh, before he, um, in this series, the last episode he appeared in was season two, episode 19, Judgment, where Archer was on, was put on trial by the Klingon High Council. Uh, we covered that in episode uh, in, in our episode with attorney Alex Kornfeld. We discussed the uh, the ins and outs of the legal process of Star Trek. That was a lot. I of heard fun. some of that one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's a good episode. But uh, yeah, this is his uh, this is not his first go around, Mr. Deucen. So uh, thank you so much, sir. And uh, he just had his 78th birthday back in March. So Ooh, happy, happy late birthday. birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, an interesting note about this, you know, we, we've talked a lot about uh, over the course of the podcast, we've talked a lot about certain things working for Enterprise's favor and certain things working against it, uh, be it behind the scenes or just things that are out of their control. This episode first aired in the U.S. on January 21st, uh, 20, uh, 2000, uh, 2004. Uh, and according to the Nielsen Media Research, it received a 2.2 out of 3 rating share among adults, and it had an average of 3.4 million viewers. But it was not the top seed because American Idol dominated oh. that night. And, uh, of course, everything else on the other networks went down. Um, so final thoughts. Let's, let's, get it, let's get to the big, big question. Is this episode, is Proving Ground essential viewing and i mean essential viewing for like if we're if we're talking about the franchise as a whole but if someone is starting you know is this an essential is this an essential episode for the franchise as a whole but is it essential in any other aspects you know that's a really tough question you know because i know it ties into the whole zindi war arc And, you know, I just revisited this episode. I didn't, you know, I didn't have time to revisit the whole series. Right, right, right. (laughs) Uh, But I do remember enough that it it is part of that that story arc, you know. Mm. Um, Is it critical viewing? Only because I love Jeffrey Combs so much. And he is just a delight to watch on screen, you know. And I I think he's, you know, he's just a a fantastic actor. Um, Reanimator is one of my favorite movies, like I said before. 
as far as like being in Star Trek, I don't know. I mean, it, it's it seems to be. Mm. That's a tough question. Yeah, no, it's, that's fine. What I was going, to, I do, was going. Do you to... mean it's more like? Uh, is it essential to like the Star Trek universe? Is it essential to Star Trek fans? Like, I'm kind of. To, to be honest, that's that's the point of contention. Is like if it is is this essential viewing? If it is, why? And uh, is it is because what I was going to say was, um, is this essential to the overall? To the overall arc of the entire franchise, no. Is it essential? No. Is it essential to the Zindi War? Probably. Yeah, definitely. Is it is it essential for fans of the Archer Shran? I'll say bromance. <laughs> absolutely, I think <laughs> sure. absolutely. They got like a buddy cop vibe. Yeah, kind of it's all oh, that's such a great comparison. Yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, you got the yeah one of them's more straight laced than the other, and the other ones. Yeah bit of a wild card yeah like and I 48 think, hours yes yes absolutely and except that's like, not that, racist <laughs> right <laughs> well no actually shran is kind, kind of racist yeah <laughs> that's racist! never mind it fits perfectly no yeah yeah and that's i mean and that's the interesting part of these you know with so many i mean we're well over 800 stories in the star trek franchise so far um you know, it's kind of interesting to see where people do start to form these lists of, hey, here's here's all the, you know, and you can have, hey, here's all the board episodes or here's all the Klingon episodes or whatever. But then there's something like you could have a list of female empowerment episodes. You could have an episode, uh, you could have a list of uh, cautionary tales about technology. You could have a list of, uh, hey, here's all the uh, fish out of water episodes of like uh you know someone having to deal with you know data has to tell a joke and he yeah. has to learn how to do it there's a lot but of like the episode whenever data shows up to the town and he's like pouring out radiation and they didn't know what it was and yep yeah yeah it's i that's that's the fun part of it for me especially like as i not only as I do this show, but as I experience other people's fandom uh, through social media of saying, hey, these are our favorite holodeck episodes. And these are our favorite, uh, you know, captains episodes, or these are our favorite romance episodes. And, you know, all that stuff is a lot of fun to, uh, you know, and especially when I see those episodes, a lot of them tend to rank the episodes of like, okay, here's, you know, best to worst, but I'm always like, you know what? watch them in chronological order and have right. have a big star trek romance story you know let oh, yeah. that unfold yeah, um for sure that's a lot of fun i i really enjoy that um any other final thoughts um well i kind of wish we'd kind of been able to talk about the current state of star trek a little bit um but maybe we can come back to that in another podcast. Let's, uh, uh, to be honest, let's save that for after the credits. And uh, that'll be a bonus for our Patreon supporters. How okay, so coming back in, any final thoughts? Um, you know, I'm just a huge Star Trek fan. Like I said, my favorite series is DS9. If anybody really, really wants to get into the meat of Star Trek, like DS9, it's got it all going on. That's, that's. I don't recommend really starting there. If you did, no harm, no foul. But like, that's that's what I really get into. That's the real, real solid Star Trek stories to me. 
Well, next week, we will be joined by tabletop RPG designer and writer Josiah Martindale from Verge Games to discuss Enterprise Season 3, Episode 14, Stratagem. Uh, His people at uh, Verge told me he's a big Star Trek guy, and I have a bunch of D&D questions, so it should be a lot of fun. And you can watch Stratagem uh, with us and then tune in for our episode. Stratagem is available exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Jay Curtis Strickland, what do you got that people can follow and support? Well, I got a uh, channel you can follow on YouTube. It's called Tea and Fire. Check that out, please. Give a uh, like and a subscribe and share and all that good stuff. You know, I don't want to sound like a annoying YouTuber, but, you know, like I got to say it. So there it is. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on there. I'm all on all sorts of other outlets and whatnot. I I don't want to read them all because I think they may even all be different. So I'll just uh, get uh, Todd maybe by the graciousness of his heart to post some links in the uh, the text or whatever. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, um, but just check that out. I, I think it's uh, it's a cultural, political. Um, we do a little skits. I have um, you know podcasts myself. And uh, just all around good time, bringing it back into the like tradition of the, you know, like the man show and like Howard Stern, you know, just having fun, broing it up, you know. So, um, yeah, drop by, say what's up. <laughs> and I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in 10 forward. That was a horrible outro. <laughs> <laughs> on Patreon and like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a slice of fried gold?